Hello and welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. How do your thoughts affect your reality? Pam Grout is the author of 16 books, and most recently, her New York Times bestseller, E Squared, Nine Do-It-Yourself Energy Experiments That Prove Your Thoughts Create Your Reality. Pam is here to talk about our thoughts and what we can do. And Pam, I really welcome you to my show today. Thank you. It's great to be here. So how did you go about understanding the importance of our thoughts and what we think? Well, I've been interested in these principles for a long time. I mean, I'm a you know, a kid from Kansas, and I figured if I was going to become a travel writer, if I was going to be a published author, I was going to have to do something than, you know, wait for everyone to find me. Mm-hmm. So um, I used my thoughts and affirmations and all those things that we've heard about forever um, to create this pretty amazing life for myself. You know, this is my 16th book. Um, I've been to all the world continents. I mean, I've had a pretty amazing life, and I've done all of it just by focusing on what I wanted and just continually rewriting that message of lack and limitation that so often happens, you know, that kind of gets written onto our um, our little sketch pads when we're born. <laughs> so I've had to rewrite a lot of those uh, messages that I think a lot of us get. And so as you started doing this and you focused on that, is this something that you grew up with? Was this something that you grew up with believing that this is the way you needed to do it? Um, well, I think I have a pretty positive family, although I grew up in a pretty traditional religious family, and the framework's quite a bit different. But I did grow up, you know, with Norman Vincent Peale, not with him, but, you know, reading his kind of stuff about positive thinking. So certainly my father, who was a minister, had a lot of this kind of kind of thing, but I have definitely evolved my belief. So to some extent, yes, but... Um, But, you know, like everybody else, I got a lot of negative messages as well. So Mm -hmm. this is something, you know, I had to kind of retrain my mind. As I said in the book, it's like housebreaking a puppy. You just keep taking it back outside and showing it a different reality, you know, that the world is beautiful, that the world is abundant, that there is no such thing as lack of limitation. And as you keep showing your mind that truth, eventually your mind will get it. You know, you'll write different neural pathways and, um, you know, everything starts changing for you. So... For the, for the listeners out there that may be new, and some of them not because of the guests that I've had previously, but for some it may be new, how do our thoughts really affect our reality? Well, actually our thoughts affect every single bit of reality. I mean, um, we started finding this out, you know, back when Einstein came up with E equals MC squared, that's relativity theory, he realized that each person affects the world differently, and it's what's now known as the observer effect. So everything we look at, we're affecting it. I mean, we can't look at anything. It's kind of like we're in this one big field, and our observation of something affects how it works. So we're continually affecting our reality, our lives, by how we look at it. You know, it's like we're our thoughts are basically um, magnetic. I mean, they go out into this big field, which is, you know, what, what physicists have proven. We're in this big unified field, and our thoughts go out into this field, and they bring back their match. 
I'm actually writing a cube right now, which is the follow-up to this book. And I talk in there about how it's like the house cat, you know, who goes out and, and brings back something from the, from the yard, you know, the dead squirrel he caught or whatever. But that's what our thoughts do. They go out into this big quantum field and they bring back whatever match. I mean, they, it's like a tuning fork is another way to look at it. You know, you ding a tuning fork and every, every tuning fork with that particular note will start dinging. So that's what happens. I mean, our thoughts are waves, just like, you know, radio waves or television waves. And they go out and literally are broadcasting out to the universe, here's what I want, here's what I believe, here's my expectation, and then it just comes back to us as a perfect match. Well, Pam, I like in your book, E Squared, how you wrote about this and how there's so many thoughts in our brains that there's it, our brain has to kind of uh, remove and only be able to, can only absorb, you know, a certain fragment. And maybe I'm saying this incorrectly, but that's why, you know, we, what we think kind of attracts that because that comes up, that's what comes up as all this stuff is coming towards us. Is that correct? Or can you say yeah. it better? I mean, one way to compare, you know, the spam filter on our computers, mm -hmm. you know, we set it up as like, okay, I'm not going to let this kind of stuff come in. You know, we can set up our spam filters however we want to. And our brain does all of this without our even knowing it. But, you know, our spam filter may only catch 10% of the spam or 10% of the emails coming in, but our minds literally filter out, you know, something like 99.9% .9 of all that's possible. So all we're getting is this little tiny bit of reality, and the little bit of reality that we're letting in is what we decided to let in. And we learn those lessons as kids, you know, our culture, our families. And so we miss almost everything. It's kind of like if you ever had a dream, and then if you didn't get up and write it down, you don't remember it like mm -hmm. maybe five minutes later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or at least I have that happen. I think a lot of people have that happen. And that's sort of what's happening. I mean, all this stuff is going on, but we're only letting in, our spam folders are only letting in the part that jive with how we decided the world is. So our expectations literally set up what's able to come in to our consciousness, what we're able to see. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great um, metaphor for people to grasp this. So now what about, so if you, if you see the world in a negative way, that's what you're going to, that's the reality you're going to create then. Is that what you're Constantly, saying? Constantly, yes. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think most of the problems that we see in the world, if you want to call them problems, is us just looking out and expecting negativity. I mean, that's the default setting. I mean, what are we taught to do? What's wrong? What's wrong? We all say to each other. We look for problems. We, you know, look for injustices to write. I mean, we spend so much of the focus of our lives looking for what's not working instead of spending our lives looking for what's right. And there's so much more that is right. And once we start focusing on what is working, what is right, all the love that surrounds us constantly, then that's what's going to come into our life. So basically it's a little bit about changing those spam filter settings, you know, getting the filter to look for different things. Okay. So how do you go about training your mind? Well, one of the things I do, and I've talked about this before, is I, I literally get up every morning and I say to myself, or I say out loud, you know, whoever happens to be there, something amazingly awesome is going to happen to me today. I mean, that's how I prepave my day. That's the expectation I set up. That's what I intend to have happen, something amazingly awesome. Now, I oftentimes will also write intentions down, but basically I'm just setting it up for like, you know what? 
the universe is so amazing and awesome, and I'm open to whatever it wants to bring my way. So I am totally open, totally excited, and that's what I'm looking for. The other little practice that I do in the morning is I have this little power posse. I have these friends, and I text. we each text each other blessings of something that happened to us from the day before. And I know the gratitude practice has been around for a while, but art's a little bit different in that every day we have to find something different. Mm-hmm. So I always liken myself to Lewis and Clark. I'm out there scouting for new blessings. And I've always been a big fan of gratitude, and I've used it to great effect. But once I started finding new blessings all the time, it's just like everything seemed to change. And again, that's what my thoughts are going out into the universe looking for is all the good stuff happening. And it's just amazing how much good stuff is happening that I might have overlooked if I was looking for what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And then what do you say to those that may be listening who've gone through some bad stuff, whether it was, say, you know, an illness or cancer or um, a job loss, when they go through, you know, the bad stuff, what do you say about that? Well, I would say that bad is an interpretation. Mm-hmm. And I think the less we judge things, the better. I would say when something that, you know, that everybody else might term bad happens to me, I would look at it as an opportunity, a, a way of saying, hey, hallelujah, some, it's showing me that something in my consciousness isn't, isn't quite where I want it to be. I mean, it's always an opportunity. So I, continue, I, mean, I, I prefer not to judge. Of course, my mind does get into judging from time to time. But the less I judge or call something bad um, and always see it as an opportunity no matter what it is. I mean, there's so many people that have gotten cancer that have said, oh, my gosh, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. It changed my focus. Everything completely changed at that point. And, I mean, even death, which is, of course, the thing we think of as the worst thing, um, how do we know that's not a whole nother? just like we get excited when somebody's going to Africa or someone has a great exciting trip coming up, how do we know that death isn't that way? In fact, a friend of mine, um, her, a friend of hers recently died of cancer, and she's, she's older, and so she's, you know, been around death a little bit, but when her daughter first called to say, hey, it's, it's time, you know, she's going, and my friend said to herself, oh, I'm so excited for her, <laughs> just because she has sat at the bedside for so many people, you know, she's going on to something else. So I guess what I'm saying is that all the things we call bad mm-hmm. are just judgment calls, and um, we don't know for sure that they're really bad. I mean, it's just, it's one way, that's one interpretation. And I think, again, I am choosing to interpret everything as good. And that is um, what I think can really revolutionize your life. And when you choose to look at it as good, does that help you move through it versus when you think, when we think of it as bad, that's what helps people stay stuck? Well, calling it bad certainly would set up an energy of resistance. Mm -hmm. Like who wants bad? So I think, yeah, I think that's really true. If we surrender to it or see it as the gift that it is, then it's much easier to embrace it. I mean, again, we want to be thankful for everything that happens to us. Um, and then, like, here's an example I use. Last December, about this time, I was um, scheduled. I'm a travel writer, so I travel all over, and I was scheduled to go down to Belize to celebrate the end of the Mayan calendar. I was going to do an article about it. The day I was packing to go, I mean, I was leaving the next day, my back went out, and I could not go. And I was disappointed. I mean, I had this assignment, and I mean, I literally couldn't get out of bed the next day. And I lay there in bed, and, you know, I could have thought, oh, poor me, poor me. 
But I was so committed to being happy. And I mean, people may think this is ridiculous, but I laid there in bed. I was completely in bliss. I was so happy because I made that commitment to be happy. And I wasn't faking it. I mean, I really felt that way. I soon, my back healed up. I went to Belize in January and had the time of my life. So, you know, that was just one example of how most people would say, oh, that's bad. Or they go, oh, that's too bad. You poor thing. What happened to your back? But I really... You know, our attitude, what we think about in our mind, that's the one thing we do have control over always. And um, I'm not saying that I always do that, but that particular time I was successful. And I had just as good a time laying in my bed in, you know, what some might call physical pain as I would have had if I'd have been, you know, camping out next to the Mayan pyramid, which is what I was scheduled to do. And as I did do, you know, a month later. So anyway, that's just one small example. So yeah, I think resistance sets up. I mean, as far as if we're talking energy, which is what my book does, um, when our energy is all going in one direction, we have coherent energy, like a laser is, you know, in, 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 um, in technology, then everything's going to go that direction. What happens is we have all this different energy going all these different directions. We have, yes, I want this, but oh, what if this, you know, I mean, we go back and forth. And so our energy isn't coherent. And I think a lot of times when we're resisting that we're going to have a lot of that incoherent energy. So by not resisting and by just always going in the same direction, gratitude, 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 I think it just can kind of pass right on through. In fact, somebody told me once that, a typical, I think it was um, Jill Bolte-Taylor. I think you said you might have had mm-hmm. her on your show. She was talking about if a negative thought comes in, as far as how the brain processes it, 90 seconds and it's gone. But what happens is that 90 seconds comes in and so we grab onto it and go, oh, oh my gosh, this should, you know what I mean? And then pretty soon we've created this whole city around this thought. I mean, you know, we pitched a tent there and man, we made it into this big thing. If we simply don't resist and let it pass right on through, um, I think it, you know, it just aids in maybe moving in the direction we want to move, you know, being more connected to that source, being more connected to real life as opposed to the life that's in our judgments. Because our life and our judgments is always wrong. <laughs> so going back to this, that great um, story you shared with us, when you, when you couldn't go to Belize because your back went out, you were committed to being happy. So instead of pitching the tent, building a campfire and sitting around and saying, poor me, poor me, and have everyone say, oh, this is horrible. You missed this experience. You focused on, okay, I'm here. I'm lying in my bed. There is pain. And what can I do now What in under these circumstances? And that falls along the line of me being happy. Is that what you did? You know, it wasn't even that conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one thing you could do is be that conscious. But it was more that I was just in such a place at that time of my life. I was just so happy. I mean, I was just in this state of bliss. It's almost hard to even explain it, but I was so happy that I, I mean, that, that temptation to be, woe is me, didn't even come up. I mean, it didn't even occur to me. I was just happy. I mean, that's the commitment I've made is to be happy, and that's how I felt. So I didn't have to think, oh, because once you judge it, again, that goes back to that resistance. Had I thought to myself, okay, this isn't good, but I'm going to do this other thing, I mean, that didn't even happen because I guess I didn't resist it. I just surrendered to it. And, you know, when I say this, it makes me sound like, oh, wow, you're so great. I often do not surrender to it. I often do get upset and, you know, do the opposite. But that was such a great lesson for me because it showed me what is possible. And I try to think about that every time I do decide to get upset about something or try to resist something because that was just such a beautiful experience for me. And in some ways may have been, you know, the reason I even created that because it taught me, you know, a valuable lesson. 
So you now have some pretty powerful evidence going forward. Exactly. Well, and, I, and do you think, though, the other reason is that you've been practicing this so much that you didn't have to go, it could be more unconscious where maybe somebody who's new to this, having that breakdown might be helpful for them to go, okay, well, Pam said she was committed to being happy. How am I supposed to do that? What does that mean as they're sitting there going through their, their times? Right. I think the more we can practice being happy, and I mean, that might sound like a oh shallow goal, but to me, it's the most important goal we could ever have, because if we commit to being happy, we are committing to being who we really are. I mean, that is the truth of who we are, joyful, life-filled spirits. And um, most of us have deterred from that path, but that is our truth. That is who we are. And so as we practice being who we are more and more, and again, that's turning it over to, you know, our higher self, turning it over to the FP, believing in the world's largest, believing in the truth that there's no lack, there's no limitation, there's no death, there's no, you know, this, this bigger picture, this we're all, we're all connected. The more we do that, the more natural that comes when something, you know, is trying to resist. I mean, in the terms, I'm a Course in Miracles student, and so the term, how we've got the framework set up, you know, it's like we're either living in love or we're living in fear, which is the purview of the ego. And the ego is a crafty little devil who's always trying to get our attention. And, of course, it'll come up with more and more elaborate schemes to get our attention, but the more we've practiced, um, you know, believing in truth and not buying into the illusion, the easier it is to, you know, stay away from that illusion when it's constantly trying to, you know, come in the window. <laughs> what is what does happy mean to you? You know, I just read a definition of happy the other day that I thought was really good. Of course, I'm not remembering exactly, <laughs> but it was something about being content and living a life of a joyful expansion or something like that. I did cut and pasted that. I, I think I read it online or maybe I wrote it in my notebook, but I saw it somewhere. I thought, oh, I like that definition. And it hasn't gotten into my neural pathways that I've got it memorized yet, but it's something to that effect. I mean, happiness or joy. I actually like the word joy a lot. And one of my goals is unceasing joy. And people think, oh, she's crazy. She's the mayor of crazy town. But honestly, according to the Course in Miracles, which again is my, my main spiritual path, anything else is foolishness. Anything other than um, unceasing joy is, is really a fool's errand. Because that is, I mean, that's such a foreign concept. People can't even imagine unceasing joy. What is she crazy? I mean, that is really, uh, that's a radical notion. But that is the truth of how it's supposed to be. And until we get to that point, um, you know, we still have play to do, you know, I was going to say work to do, but I prefer play to do because I, you know, want to enjoy my life. I want to have fun. Like I said, that's, that's what I'm, that's my highest aim. Mm -hmm. So when, when you're pursuing unceasing joy, does that mean that there's not pain or sadness? Well, again, that's an interpretation. Um, I choose not to interpret that. Another thing I'm writing about in, in E cubed is, you know, about this, you know, dancing with the stars judges that our minds are, you know, constantly judging. Okay, that was a good move. That was a not a good move. You know, this person, you know, hold up the cards 8.9. I don't even know how that, you know, but you know, all those mm -hmm. judges shows we have, I and mean, we're all about judging. That's mm -hmm. what we think our role in life is to be a judge. But honestly, I don't have enough information to judge anything. I, on my own, in my little separated self, cannot judge anything. So the less and less I judge and the more and more I turn it over to 
the higher judge or the, you know, what I call the Holy Spirit. Again, I'm kind of framing it in the Course in Miracles terms, the happier my life is. So, you know, I don't even want to judge whether something's good or bad. I mean, I know kind of what society terms as good and bad, and I know I often fall prey to those definitions in my own life, but I, um, I as much as possible try to turn it over and say, well, I don't know. I can't know. You know, it's interesting because just last night um, I was at the radio station and I think I looked through my phone and when I got in the car, something was bothering me. And and so in, in the old me would have been like, oh, something's bad. And But instead it was like, well, what's bothering me? What? And it was kind of for me to do an investigation to see what was going on and what it what it was about. And I think about like your when you talk about it's an opportunity. For me, there was something in there that was an opportunity for my own personal growth. Right. Right. As as I think Michael Beckwith said, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste, mm-hmm. <laughs> or a problem is a terrible thing to waste. Something like that. You know, the fact is we can um, use every again. I put this in quote marks. Every problem, every issue as a, a trampoline to leap us into something even better. It's just a matter of how we choose to, to see it. Mm-hmm. So by having that, that, that's, that's just part, that's part of this process of um, doing this work and, and going towards unseizing joy. It doesn't mean you don't have these messages that come in. It just means that you, you, if you, how you look at them, like I could have looked at it and made it about me or, you know, uh, had my little pity party and building my campfire, right. And inviting other people around. But instead, because I was able to turn it around and go, okay, I can tell something's troubling me. What is it? Think about it. Right. And I got really clear and it was about, cause what it came down to is there was a boundary for me to set that, you know, and I was, didn't really want to set it. I didn't want to spend the energy setting that. Yeah, and it sounds like it led you to peace, mm-hmm. which is, you know, where we always want to go, and um, and, and back to joy. So yeah. that's, that's great. Um, so the training the mind. So for you, you have a process, and we have all these, like, thoughts that go through ours. In your book, you state it's about 60,000 thoughts a day, and... and you talk about going from a, going from a place of love instead of fear, do you ever have fearful things that come up for you? Oh, constantly, constantly. Yeah, no, I don't ever want to present myself as someone who's got it all figured out. I'm a speaker <laughs> like everybody else, but I also have some tools, and I've made it very important to, you know, when I notice I'm not at peace, when I notice um, my ego's, you know, in the back of the room with his arms waving, going, hey, hey, over here. I, I very quickly, when I remember, I mean, there's days I'll decide to be in, have a pity party for a couple of days. I mean, it mm-hmm. certainly does happen. But again, I'm training, just like, you know, you build muscle, like if you're wanting a new tennis serve or you want a new, um, you know, learning how to break your car. I mean, it's just, you need the muscle memory of how to do it. And it's the same with, you know, those neural synapses in your mind. You need, you need to retrain them and it becomes easier and easier as you do it. Those areas of the brain start lighting up um, as you practice it over and over and over again. I, but no, no, I'm not about saying that I don't, that I don't <laughs> have that. I, I certainly do. Although I'm very committed to um, moving through it as quickly as I can and not pitching the tent, not building the city there. Well, and going back to Jill Bolte-Taylor, one of the things that she told me was the same thing with the 90 seconds, right? That your feelings last for 90 seconds and they come in like waves. So isn't it when they come in the waves, what, what perpetuates it continuously is when you keep telling yourself that same thought over and over and over, and that's what keeps us stuck in some of those unpleasant feelings. 
Right. Oh, I know. Then, you, like I said, you've built the whole city. You've got a mm-hmm. whole country around this spot. You know, you've called, you've looked it up on, you've Googled it on, uh, on the computer. You've called all your friends. You started a support group. <laughs> I mean, you know, you've got this whole thing going on. And that's certainly one way to do it. And I'm not knocking it. It's just not what I want to do. And it's just not the way that I find is, is truth. I mean, I think truth is all about joy and fun and happiness. And at least, you know, that's the truth I'm seeking and the truth that I'm finding in my own life. Well, and just to go to my experience last night, you know, that was something that was troubling for probably 10 or 15 minutes. And then once I got really clear about it, I was able to let it go. And I got really clear about what, you know, I was telling myself that I shouldn't have to do this, but this was my boundary. And why wouldn't I reestablish my boundary? Right. Um, Right. And so, and then it was just pretty freeing and today has been a different day, but versus when I used to hang on to stuff like this, it would perpetuate for a long period of time. Right. And I would get stuck in this downward spiral. And so and that's what you're talking about when you're saying we're building these cities and we're we're inviting all these other people to come and join with us. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so congratulations. <laughs> but <laughs> you it, let it go in ten minutes. That's that's fabulous. And and you know, the listener out there may say, Oh, well, this was a little thing and 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 for this it was, but this used to be a big thing where I would call a whole bunch of friends right? And say, Oh my gosh, can you believe this? And I would have gone on and on. And I would have built the campfire, had, you know, a lot of people invited a lot of people and fondled this for a really long time. Oh yeah. And then brought more of it in and to see as evidence of, see, this is really true. This is how people are Mm -hmm. instead of realizing, wait, this is, this is my important value, you know, and it's just for me to reestablish this. Right. Well, sister, you're getting it. That's great. Well, I'm practicing and I love how you talk about practice because the metaphor I think of when you're talking about this is learning how to drive a car. Like when we were, when we're teenagers and we're first learning, I remember there was so much intense focus and energy spent on that. And I remember, I always remember how my first time I made a right hand turn and I felt like, oh my gosh, this car is really moving. I was probably driving five miles an hour. (laughs) Right. And now I get in the car and a lot of times it's unconscious right? Or I, I'm kind of aware, but there's other stuff going on, but I've practiced it so much that I can almost go into that more unconscious area. And that's what it sounds like what you're talking about with training your mind. Exactly. I mean, right now what happens, you know, as long as we're not in the present moment in the now, and that's another real important thing, those, you know, those unconscious behaviors take over. And while it's really great that we have those unconscious behaviors on teaching us how to drive, because who wants to be thinking every, okay, now put your, right, you know what I mean? Who wants yeah. to think about that? But what happens is a lot of those unconscious things that take over whenever we're not in the now moment are those patterns of lack and limitation. And so we often operate from this operating system that isn't serving our best interest just because we're not in this current now. I mean, this current now is like, you know, an atomic it's like atomic energy. I mean, anything can happen in this now. I mean, this love, this amazingness that is in right now, but most of the time we're not here. We're, again, running those programs, you know, the future, the past, whatever. And so we miss this, you know, amazing power that we have in this exact moment. So, so anyway, it's just kind of interesting. What tools, Pam, do you use to help you get out of fear? You know, it's so funny you ask that because, like I said, I'm writing E-Cubed, and I was just writing today about the tools in my Batman utility belt. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I am a big fan of the Byron Katie work. I do that one a lot. I'm not sure. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Four questions. Okay. I love that work. Yeah. 
And um, in fact, I think it's so important because so many of our thoughts, you know, those thoughts when we're not in the now um, are not even true. They're just an old pattern that we've been rehearsing again and again and again. And so we say, is that really true? And then the, which, you know, those are the first two questions. That's 50% of, you know, of the work. And then the third question, you know, how does that make you feel? And that's really an important thing. If it's a, if it's a thought that's making you feel good, man, milk that baby for all it's worth. But if it's a thought that's not making you feel good, you can change it. You know, so it's really important to go, wow, that thought doesn't really serve me. You know, that thought is not feeling real good. So why would I have it any more than you'd go into a restaurant, look at the menu and pick the, the least desirable item on there, or you wouldn't walk into a, you know, um, a department store and pick the ugliest dress. I mean, but we do that. We pick the thoughts that aren't making us happy. And once we become more aware of that. So anyway, I use the Byron Katie work a lot. I've got a friend. We get together a couple times a month even, and we do the work. We go down to a coffee shop on a Saturday, and we'll, you know, whatever troubling thought might be going through my mind. In fact, one of the things I wrote is that, hey, it's almost like um, a cheesecake factory menu. You know, there's so many options. You're trying to find that one painful thought I'm going to write about today. But, you know, I mean, there's always those thoughts. But anyway, so um, – so I, I use that. I also love Ho'oponopono. Are you familiar with that one? No. Well, it's this beautiful process where over and over you're sending, it's like you're erasing all the negative stuff. I mean, in some ways our job here is to, it's more like we're having a blowtorch to get rid of all those, all that processing, all that stuff we learned that isn't serving us. But anyway, Ho'oponopono is just, again, I'm really into the simple things, obviously. But everybody you see, every thought that occurs to you, you say, I love you. Thank you. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. And so you just continually over and over are saying those four, those four sentences, which are, you know, real simple. And it all started, actually, it's a Hawaiian technique, but the, I first heard about it. There was this psychologist in, in Hawaii. He was hired to work at this, you know, like the, wor- the, the state's worst mental institution. You know, these were people that had serious problems. They, you know, nobody, everybody wrote them off out of there, you know. So they, they hired this guy, and he goes in there. So for the first few months, he doesn't even leave his office, and everybody's like, you know, why do we hire this guy? He's sitting in his office. We have, you know, nothing's happening. Why is he in there? Well, he was practicing Ho'oponopono he, over and over again. You know, he was saying, okay, like, say some guy, you know, was schizophrenic. He would say, you know, what part of me is schizophrenic? What part of me, you know, I'm sorry for creating this. I'm sorry I... I, I forgive myself or please forgive me for creating this. I mean, again, we're all connected. We're all one. And the most amazing thing happened. Every single one of those patients ended up getting better and being released. And they closed that facility down. I think his name is Hugh Lynn or Lynn Hugh or something like that. I mean, he's a real guy. You can look it up on the internet, but that is what Ho'oponopono is. He did not interact with them personally. He was literally just changing that energy, just changing that that pattern, that connection we all have. I mean, anytime I change a thought within my own heart, it changes everything else. It's like that entanglement theory that we know about from quantum physics. So, you know, we think we need to get out there and do all this action, but so much of what we really need to do is in our own thoughts, in our own hearts, and that's where we can truly be effective. The problem is we all think, oh, we have to be out there doing action. I mean, that's, again, one of those upside-down beliefs that we have. But, yeah, Ho'oponopono is another one I like a lot. It kind of depends. I, I like to have lots of tricks. I heard Jim Carrey say one time that they probably should have a self-help wing in the, in the library named after him. <laughs> I, I can say the same thing, you know, because I love all these books, and that's why I wrote this book. And this is the kind of stuff I love to read about, think about. And so, 
So anyway, um, I, I'm just a big fan of this kind of stuff. So those are a couple tools that I, I use quite often if a distressing thought does come up. Well, what I love about what you're talking about is that it's not a blueprint. It's not step one, step two, step three. It's more like a kitchen where you have all these different appliances or tools and you can make them. I mean, I can use a different spatula to make my pancakes. You know, I don't have to, you know, I can use different types of frying pans, right? It doesn't have to be one. There's lots of different variables in which one, which one do you like better? Which one do you want to use today? Right. Um, and I think, you know, some people like one and they, that's what they're going to stick with. They're only going to use their um, mix master. That's it. So mm -hmm. that's fine if that's what they want to do. I'm more of a uh, uh, jack of all trades, master of none kind of person. Mm -hmm. So I like a lot of different tools in my little utility belt. Um, but anyway, so yeah, it depends on the person. Some people, like I said, want one and that's fine for them. Me, I like a lot of different stuff. And then, so f what about doubt for people who have doubt? What do you recommend for them? Um, don't give it any airtime. <laughs> okay, easier said than done, Pam. <laughs> well, up until now, I mean, that's, okay, here's one thing. The word, it's hard. That is a, the most dangerous four-letter word in the English language as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. That's hard. People go, oh, that's hard. I can't let go of that. Well, if you want to continue to believe that it's hard to let go of that, that's fine. But you can also say, well, this is easy. I have one of those little that was easy buttons, you know, that you get at Staples. That was easy, and that's what I want to affirm. My life is smooth and easy. It's smooth and easy to make these transitions. So we can choose how we want to see it. And the only reason it appears hard or we can't do it is because that's the way we've been doing it over and over and over again. We're simply repeating what we know from the past. You know those 60,000 thoughts we were talking about mm -hmm. earlier? 98% of them are the exact same thoughts we had yesterday. But we're choosing them. We don't have to choose them. <laughs> we can choose a different thought. So, so Pam, I'm have a huge background in athletics and I was a swimmer for a long time and I've coached swimming for a long time. And right now I'm coaching uh, these little kids in the afternoon, not little, but junior high schoolers. And so yesterday I was thinking about your book and I was, you know, and, and I apply a lot of this stuff in athletics because how you talk to yourself as an athlete is, is pivotal. And, um, so I, we were doing something and the kids figured out what time that they had to go. And some of them looked at me and they go, Karen, that's impossible. You know, that's faster than my best time. And so I just said, you know, you need to be careful how, what you tell yourself and rise to the challenge because who knows what will really happen. Just rise to the challenge. Stop telling yourself that you can't do it and be open to see what is possible. Let's go test it out. Right. And it was pretty interesting because all the kids beat the times that they were supposed to beat. I love that story. That is so fabulous. I love that. Well, you know, that's the old four-minute mile thing we've heard a million times, mm -hmm. you know, about the guy that said, oh, it was impossible to run faster than that. And once one guy did it, everybody could do it. So we really just put these self-imposed limitations on ourselves, and we do it all the time. But if we could just take off all those expectations, those beliefs, I mean, who knows what we could do? I mean, we might be able to fly. We might, I mean, you know what I mean? We, we mm -hmm. really, anything could be possible, as, you know, as long as we're open to any new possibility. It, so that's cool that you're working with kids and doing that. That's, that's fabulous. Well, in, in how you talk to yourself, and it was funny because last night I was talking to my husband and he had a, uh, a swimmer who made the Olympic team in 2012 and, and he total underdog. Nobody knew who he was, had never been on the national team. And my listeners know the story very well. And I told him last night, you know, because I was thinking about this interview we're going to do today. And I said, you know, I, I think you really just kind of programmed Scott's mind because you, I mean, he would always tell Scott, you are the hardest working breaststroker in the United States. You are the hardest working. And, and the thing about my husband and his, his athlete knew this was that my husband's not a person that blows smoke and just says something to say it. You know, there was, 
there was a lot behind that. And after a while, Scott just really started to believe it more and more. And he gathered evidence like you were talking about how you gathered evidence earlier in the show, right, with when you were going through it with the Belize trip. And then you you experienced that letting go and committing to be happy. And now that that's that's in your, you know, memory for next time when there's something that may be disappointing. The same thing happened with Scott was that over time, and this is what we do in athletics, is that we try to cultivate evidence to prove to swimmers that, yes, this is possible for you. Here's here's another piece of evidence. Here's another piece of evidence. Let's continue to look forward. And so when I was reading your book, a lot of that is what we do in the athletic world. Oh, I love it. What's Scott's last name? I'll have to... Google him. Well, I'll send you some links about him. Oh, I love it. Well, I just, I really like that story, and I'm so happy that you're doing that. I, I mean, I want everybody to look for what's possible instead of, you know, deciding this is how it is. It's only this is how it is because we say it, this is how it is. <laughs> so now I have a question for you because in your book, here, let me get this. Um, you talked about looking for answers, and, um, and I had a question about that because I was wondering about, uh, says, okay, this had to do about, let's see, by, okay, let me see, let me see where this is. Um, you have to live under the assumption that your intention has already happened. And, um, anytime we look for an answer, we make the false assumption that the answer isn't already here. What do you mean by that? Um, in the quantum field, all of our thoughts are sending energy out. Um, if we're not aligned with that, we're, we will be unable to see it. I think, I'm not sure if it's the same section, but I talk in there about, you know, we send the intention out. We're on the second floor. The intention we make may be on the 17th floor. So we have to get to the 17th floor in our consciousness. Because as long as we're still on the second floor and this intention we made is on the 17th floor, our spam filter that we were talking about early is not going to let that into your eyesight. I mean, our eyes, you know, all of our senses are just big giant spam filters letting in, you know, whatever we've decided is true. So that's what I mean. I, I think if, if that answers your question, but the minute we make an intention, we have created it. We may not see it yet. Um, again, because we're not, you know, we're not radiating that energy in that way. We're not up to the 17th floor. You know, our spam filter still spamming or, you know, still filtering that stuff out. So that's what I mean. I hope that answers your question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and when we, when we, is there a difference between like, um, what you say of, um, looking for an answer and asking a great question? Oh, asking a great question is really important. One of the techniques I like to use is saying thank you for what I want to appear. You know, that's my intention. Thank you for that. And, you know, when someone says, hey, would you like this cookie? You go, oh, thank you. And you don't have the cookie yet, but by saying thank you, it comes to you. So being grateful for that, that's like making the intention. Thank you for, um, you know, thank you for that new swimming time that I'm going to get. Thank you. For, you know, you don't have to say it in those words, but, you know, being grateful for it, realizing it's already there. Because, yeah, anytime we're wanting we are in the state of wanting. That's like, I guess that's kind of what you were saying before. Mm. We're not um, believing that it's there. If we're wanting something, I mean, the thing is, the truth of it is we are connected to every single thing. So anything we could possibly want, that time, that better time, that million dollars, whatever, you know, that intention is, you're already connected to it by virtue of being an energetic being in this energetic field. I mean, you are connected to it. 
you have to like draw it into your little area perhaps. And, and that's what our thoughts are going out to do. But, um, but anyway, so, so yes, anything is, it is there. It's all available for you. Um, our job, so to speak, is to, you know, get an alignment with that so it flows in really easily. And again, saying that it's easy instead of saying that it's hard or believing in possibilities, being open to new possibilities. I mean, I just can't tell you how much we get up expecting the exact same thing as yesterday. And I mean, that in some ways that's really good because that helps us to drive, like you pointed out. It helps us to do some of these things. I mean, if every day we had to get up and go, okay, now how do I drive? How do I brush my teeth? You know, I mean, those are things we need to know. But what happens is we've pretty much filtered out everything else. You know what I mean? Because we have so many patterns, so much, you know, muscle memory, so much, all this stuff, which is good on one hand, but it also does limit us. Because, again, I'm not convinced we couldn't fly or that we couldn't do a lot of different things. Um, but, but, you know, we have to be open to that possibility. So one of my goals is to let go as much as possible of anything from yesterday, anything that I think this is true, you know, I, I don't know what's true. Like I said before, I'm not a very good judge of things. So I just assume turn it over to the bigger field, you know, be, be attached to that bigger field that knows everything. So Pam, I, 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 I have this limiting belief and I've really withered it away over the years. Um, and not really comes up when I'm tired, but I have this big limiting belief that I'm a loser. Right. And this is something that I grew up with. And um, so when growing up, if I had goals, it was, it would always trigger and that loser belief would come rising up. And so I kind of, I figured that out at some point. And when I was in college, um, as I was going through my collegiate career as a swimmer, I, my junior year decided that I wanted to become a national champion that year. And, um, and you know, I'd gotten third the year before, so it was pretty, it was a practical, realistic goal, but what I would do, and this is what I explain to my clients when I talk about goal work is that and in athletics, there's so much talk about goal work, but when you have a big limiting belief that you're a loser, that kind of comes up. And I didn't know how at that time what to do. So my metaphor is that I have the goal and I put it up on my bookshelf. I know that it's there, right? But it's on the top corner of my bookshelf. I know that it's there. I can walk by and I can see it just like the books that I have in my home. But I, I don't, I can't, you know, I don't pull it down to so often, but at four, five in the morning when I don't want to get out of bed to go to morning practice, <laughs> right? I go, wait, this is the goal that I have. And this is something that I want to accomplish. And if I don't go, I may not be able to accomplish it. Right. And, um, would that be kind of what you're talking about as far as, um, is, or is that a way that I was being able to focus without kind of being ramroded with my, my own personal doubt? Um, I'm not sure I totally understand the question. I totally relate to that idea that, you know, you used to think you were a loser. And I think that's mm -hmm. sort of the human condition. We all believe we're losers mm -hmm. <laughs> to some degree. I mean, that's just what we're sort of taught somehow. I'm not even quite sure where that belief came from. That's sort of that illusion that the ego um, brings up for us. But um, now you're talking about, okay, the library books that you've got up there, that's the goal, right? That's the goal. So for me, when I do goal setting, you know, some people, they do their goal setting. They like to look at it every day. And it's like, it's like that Amazon package that's coming in the mail. They know it's coming, right? But for me, when I did goal setting, it would be, it would scare me so much. How can somebody like me actually achieve that, that I would become I would get in my own way, right? I would sabotage myself. I'd not go to practice. I'd not sleep, whatever it was. Right. So right. for me, it's, it's better to put some of those big life goals up on the bookshelf where I know it's there, 
and I feel really good because I know it's there and I'm going to keep moving forward it, but it's not constantly in my face, which then would trigger my own personal doubt. Oh, I totally get what you're saying. Yes, that is such a good point. In fact, somebody mentioned sometimes it's just as good to have one word like love or you know what I mean if we go okay if you have this long word okay I want to be more loving in my relation you know it can go on and on and on well then all those words will trigger all this other stuff so you just think love 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 or whatever and that's just mm-hmm. one little example then the other stuff doesn't get triggered so yes I totally get what you're saying that that's so important in fact one of the things I like to say about intentions is set it and forget it <laughs> you know put it out there because again as we start thinking about it we start coming up with our um, ways of how this is going to happen and we really don't know that if we give it up to the field that that has a million avenues or you know gazillion unlimited avenues then it can happen our little pea brains trying to figure it out um, it, it all that resistance is going to come up all those old tapes that say we are losers are going to come up so I think that's you know really good what you did so congratulations. Well, thank you. And and for me, I think it is about for me to set it and forget it. That just, I'd seem to do a lot better versus, because I think otherwise that, that wanting energy that you were talking about comes up for me mm-hmm. when it, when I'm sitting there. But I know some people and I know some athletes, they put up a time on their bulletin board. They look at it, right? Or they're looking, they put up a goal of going to medical school and this medical school, they look at it and they just know it's going to happen. Right. Just like I know that Amazon package is going to happen. My mom may be freaked out that it won't happen, but I know it's coming. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Um, there was a book that I just recently read. Somebody that had interviewed me told me about this book called The Cosmic Ordering Service. And this is a book that was written by a German woman. And it was very popular kind of all over Europe. I, I think it might have gotten here, too. I'm not sure. But anyway, it, that's kind of what it was. You know, you just put in your order with the universe, kind of like with, you know, Amazon or the, the catalog. And you just know it's going to come. And you just trust that. So, again, I think, you know, when you – it works different for everybody. I mean, like you said, for those people, it might really work. So it kind of depends. But if, if you're someone that obsesses about it, like I can get obsessive about it, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm, you know, putting my little brain to work on how, how it should work, which is only like narrowing the possibilities. <laughs> you know, the universe has so many. So, yeah, for me, it kind of works good to set it and forget it. So I want to go into the energy field because that's really what your book is about is the energy field. And Jill Bolte-Taylor, when she was here, that's she was talking about that and how everybody were all connected. And so with this energy field, how can we connect and influence how the energy flows through us? Well, we do all the time. I mean, that's just what we do. I mean, by virtue of our life, we are connected to the energy field and we are affecting it. I think maybe what you're asking is how do we affect it to move in the direction we want it to yes. move? And that's where, you know, more conscious um, thinking can kind of come up. It's like being aware, like you were saying, of that negative thought that came up or that problem that came up, you know, being aware that that's really important. You were aware of it rather than, you know, building the city around it. You were aware of it. You attended to it because obviously it came up in your conscious. There was something needed to be attended to, but you let it flow right through. I mean, it, it bugged you for 10 minutes. I mean, that's amazing record. I mean, some people might still be obsessing about it. You know, they may be home in bed looking at the ceiling fan like, oh, what was me? So, you know what I mean? You, you let it go. And, um, so anyway, I, I don't remember exactly now what the question was. Well, about how can we influence the energy flow? Oh, right. How can, right, right. And by, um, by not resisting it, I think it's a lot of it, just letting it, I mean, once you get it, that this energy field has your back, 
It, it wants your best interest. See, I think what happened, there was this thing called God, which, you know, I actually like to call it God. In Course in Miracles, it is called God. But there's a lot of baggage around the world, God, around the word God. And a lot of people think that it's God, this energy field is God. And that is, you know, certainly one description. But because there's a lot of, oh, it's judgmental and I have to follow this rule. I mean, I like to think of it more like electricity. You know, you don't have to beg your Mr. Coffee Maker in the morning to please make their coffee. You know, you plug it in, you turn it on, it, it comes out. And that's how the energy field, that's the best way to look at the energy field rather than a judgmental energy field. So I guess it, once you get it, that it really does have your back and that it is good and that there's nothing but abundance and largest in the universe, then it's easier to hook into it, you know, because then you're not going to be resisting. If you just really trust that, you know, all is going to be well, that, you know, that is the nature of things then it's a lot easier because as long as you're thinking that you have to work so hard and you have to do this and do that and this rule and, you know, I have to get over this karma and I have to be, you know, then <laughs> you're going to resist out the wazoo. Okay, Pam. So how do you trust that all will be well? Well, that's part of the reason I did these experiments. Mm -hmm. um, as you let go of that that looking for the pain and, and suffering, which is what we all do. And once you quit asking, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? You know, we all ask that question. Then you realize, you start bringing in different things. You go, wow, the, the truth of it is the world is really good. So I think once you let go of all your notions, you know, which is like this little tiny tunnel vision that we all have, and that's all we'll let in. So I think, you know, what this book does by doing some of these experiments, you open up to all these other possibilities and you start realizing, wow, the nature of the universe is good. So um, basically it's, you know, letting go of all those thoughts and patterns and old paradigms that we've picked up. So I have a question. So if somebody is trying to find a mate, but they keep telling themselves that they are lonely and that they're, you know, they feel lonely and they're so lonely, what do you recommend that they do to turn that around? Well, first of all, quit saying they're lonely and quit <laughs> being lonely. Oh, my gosh. I mean, there is so much love all around us all the time, and that's what we need to focus on. I mean, we can love our pets. We can love, you know, the weather today. We can love, you know, some hobby we have and to just become aware of all the love there is. I mean, it's impossible to be lonely if you're really seeing the world the way it is. For one thing, you're connected to every single person, so how could you be lonely? I mean, to say you're lonely is akin to um, – you know, being in the library and say, hey, there's no books or something. <laughs> I mean, you know, since we're talking books on shelves. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that. so that definitely would be a good one to let go of and say, I'm so lonely. Because as long as you keep repeating that, you will get, I'm so lonely. Your, your, you know, your energy's going out and going, okay, she wants to be lonely. So let's find some experiences so she can have that. Um, and so really it's just to get attached, you know, to start noticing all the love that there is and start feeling really connected to yourself, to your friends, to, you know, whatever it is in your world. And then all will, all will take care of itself. Well, and isn't that the key, the, the lack of connection to oneself? Oh, totally. Totally. If we, again, if we knew how good the universe is, if we knew how, connected we are and how loving if we knew the reality of who we were which is pure love then none of these things would be an issue but we don't always see that we've created this other little vision to kind of sit in front of the, the truth so connect with yourself and focus on love on yourself and then maybe that if we can't love ourselves, is is that because our ego is getting in our way 
uh, usually it's the ego saying, hey, look at this other story. Look at this other story. You're separate. You're, mm-hmm. you're not connected to everybody. You're a loser. Mm-hmm. You know, the ego loves to tell us all those kind of things, but it's not true at all. It's just a big, it's just a big imposter. And we always have the choice whether to buy into that story or to, you know, to buy into the truth, which is that we are love. And then that's, that's the ultimate reality. So last week I I was interviewing somebody and I had this experience where as we were talking and I was thinking of the next question before I even got an opportunity to ask the next question, he was talking about my, the answer to my question. (laughs) And I thought about when you're in your book, you talk about how we are all connected and when there's two people and they're connected, they're always connected. And I was wondering, is that an example is that my experience interviewing this guest, an example of this idea that we're connected, even though, you know, he was in Oregon and I'm in California and we're talking via the radio, but I wasn't actually, I mean, this happened four times in the hour interview and it really, it started to blow me away because I was noticing this. Like I was thinking, oh, this would be a great question. And there came the answer. So is that an example of that connection piece that you talk about of energy? Oh yeah, that's perfect. Well, you know, um, Carl Jung was the first one to call it synchronicity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, quantum physicists call it entanglement. And the truth of it is you can't really think anything without everybody else getting it, even if they've got it blocked off. Some, on some level, they're getting it. So we are totally connected. And all those um, coincidences we think we see, we're really just calling them into our experience. Um, I wrote on my blog the other day the story that I had read from uh, Cheryl Strayed's book, Wild, not Wild, it was one of her other books. So Dear Sugar, she, she writes this column called Dear Sugar. But anyway, she was hiking one time out in New Mexico completely by herself and had been for several hours. All of a sudden, she runs into another hiker, and at that moment, a third hiker came up. You know, they all kind of laughed because all of them had been out hiking, you know, solo for quite a while. They started talking, and turns out all three of them had the same birthday. Wow. And, I mean, one was like, you know, in three consecutive years. I mean, you know, what are the odds of those three people being there having the same birthday? I mean, that, I mean that's just one little example of um, synchronicity or what we call coincidence. I mean, once you start thinking about coincidence or about synchronicity, you'll start noticing all these things. It just it happens because, again, you're sort of opening yourself to that possibility. So I think that's really cool that, you're, um, that the person you were interviewing that happened to. I'm sorry I wasn't hook, hooked up hook in enough to, to know your uh, questions before you ask them. But anyway, it would have been cool if you'd have kept it going, you know, if I could have done, done it too. But well, anyway. Well, with him though, and the, what I'm going to give it for us is with him is that we'd already been connected previously okay. prior to the interview. And then when we got on the air where you and I, this is the first time you and I have, you know, come into connection. So uh-huh. we'll have to see for the next interview. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you can just think it and I'll say it. The there we go. <laughs> That'll be our experiment. Yeah. So what are two takeaways um, for tips or practices for the beginner on changing their reality? What can, what can tips for focusing? What can they focus on? Always gratitude. Um, I call it playing with the toys you already have. You know, what Ooh. parent wants to give their kid new toys. So if you play with the toys you have, be grateful for what you already have. I mean, that will change your entire life. It changes everything. So gratitude would be the number one takeaway. And let's see, what would the second takeaway be? Um, again, what you focus on expands. Be really, be really conscious of that and really, do I want to be focusing on this? Ask yourself that question. Is this something I want to focus on? Do you want more of it? I always tell my daughter, don't say something unless you want it to be true, which is a little bit like you were saying to your swimmers, you know, don't, um, 
you know, don't say you can't do that or don't limit mm-hmm. yourself. Maybe, maybe you can get that other time or whatever. So, mm-hmm. Well, Pam, thank you for being a guest today on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. This is Corinne Modekaitis. You've been listening to How She Really Does It. My guest today is Pam Grout, and her book is E-Squared, Nine Do-It-Yourself Energy Experiments That Prove Your Thoughts, Create Your Reality. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you, so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.